Praise God. Amen. When I was a pastor of a church, I loved every every time there were five Sundays in a month. Because if there were five Sundays in a month, we had an extra Sunday to get the tithes and offerings. <laughs> now, I don't like it when we have five Wednesdays in a month. Because that means we have to miss two weeks before we come back. But this month has five Wednesdays, so it'll be two weeks, well, three weeks from tonight when we come back. So you might just keep that in mind. I hate that. Not hate it. I don't like it. It's not my preference. But um, we we have to have a little respite between now and the next time. So... Praise God. I, uh, this is this is one of the most fun things that I look forward to. Amen. Every other every other week, I love this group, and uh, I know the Lord loves this group. There's just there's a a spiritual chemistry that takes place when we get together. It's just uh, I hope I hope every group in our church has this kind of chemistry, where the Lord is free to just come and move. And I really hope that happens in all of them, but I know it happens here, and and I love being here. This is a wonderful, wonderful group. Have you ever noticed that when we live for Jesus, it makes some people uncomfortable? Years ago, Tammy worked at uh, at the Texas Commerce Bank building downtown. Uh, now it's getting ready to be Citizens. It's called Citizens Tower now. And uh, she worked there, and so I would take her to work. I was going to tech, and I would take her to work. And uh, it was always uncomfortable riding on the elevator. She worked on, it was like the fourth floor or something. And these were like the slowest elevators in Lubbock. Because, you know, we didn't have many elevators in Lubbock. And so I, I, it was always uncomfortable riding the elevator. So one day, because I'd always walk her to her office, and we'd go up the elevator, and then I'd come down by myself. So one day I decided I would try an experiment. We were coming down the elevator. It was always full coming down because it went down from the fourth floor down to the bank. And so I tried this experiment. As we're coming down the elevator, just out loud, I said the word God. Just on purpose, out loud, nothing else, nobody, there were just people in the elevator. I said God. And it didn't make a whole lot of difference. So the next day, got back on the elevator. We're coming down, and I said this word, Jesus. And I'm telling you, Everyone on the elevator turned and looked at me when I said that name. I mean, it just made a huge difference in the whole atmosphere of the elevator. And I'm telling you, they were very uncomfortable. Because in those days, I had hair and it was long. And uh, they didn't know what to do with this hippie-looking kid on that elevator saying the name of Jesus. It makes people uncomfortable. When I was a young Baptist boy, I remember the, the preacher asking this question. He said, if being a Christian was against the law, is there enough evidence to convict you? We ought to be making a difference wherever we are. Jesus said this, and you know these verses. He said, I'm the true vine, my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Our lives ought to be making some kind of difference. There ought to be some kind of fruit in our lives. You know, Tammy and I realized that, that maybe, maybe that difference is because of 
four children that we had and, and we believe that God is calling them and using them to make a difference in the world. It may be those seven grandchildren, but we believe God has called us to make a difference. Later in that very same chapter of John chapter 5, the scripture says this. It says, as the branch, uh, chapter 15, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. I love this phrase. For without me, you can do nothing. We have to have a relationship with Jesus. I've noticed a trend in, in Christian worship and music. Seems to me like a lot of it is about making it through the problem. Making it through the trial. I don't know about you, but I'm not always going through one. The scripture talks about going from glory to glory, from faith to faith. But it doesn't talk about going from trial to trial. At some point in our lives, we need to have this relationship with Jesus that is overcoming to the degree that we're shouting victory instead of always crying about the problem. Amen. Amen. The reason he's a healer is so we can be well in all the areas of our lives. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not belittling, belittling those songs because I understand we do have to have that confession of faith that, you know what, He hasn't failed me. He's not going to fail me now. He's did it before, he, he did it before. He'll do it again. And I think those are very important statements to make. But at some point, I've got to begin to say, He done did it now. And live in the victory that he's already accomplished for me. I'm sorry, that was my soapbox. <laughs> I, I believe that, that, that the Christian life, according to what I find in the scripture, we ought to be living an overcoming life. Amen. Amen. We ought to be the happiest people on the planet. The scripture says, happy are the people whose God is is the Lord. When it comes time to worship, I'm often entertained, and I'm not good at just closing my eyes when they say to, but at times of worship, sometimes I see Christians doing something like this. They're gritting their teeth. and <laughs> It's not that hard to worship Him. <laughs> if I really, really believe His Word, I know this, I triumph in Him. The Scripture says, we, he always causes us to triumph in Christ. Not sometimes, all the time. If you are playing a game of football and you know your team is going to win, you're kind of happy through the whole thing. If you knew it was already rigged and you got in the boxing, mat, boxing ring with the heavyweight champion of the world, but you knew it was rigged and you were going to win, you'd be kind of happy to be there. The scripture promises us victory in our lives. Doesn't doesn't promise us a life without trials. Doesn't promise us a life without without challenges. You can't be a victor and a victim at the same time. But the the Bible says that we are victors. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And we need to get in our hearts. We need to get this, this tone of victory. And said, so, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good under the circumstances. Well, what are you doing under there? 
We need to make a decision that says, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm not under any circumstance. Neither are you. Yes, times get tough. But in those times that are tough, we need to be praising his name, not for the tough time, but for the victory that he's promised us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yes. I, don't, I'm not, I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes yet, but I'm telling you something. We ought to be living a life that is exciting in Christ, and we ought to be living a life that has a current relationship with him that is hot and not lukewarm. Remember in Revelation, Jesus said, I'd rather be hot or cold. He didn't mean cold as in being far away from him. He's talking about, I would rather, I want you to live a life that makes a difference. If we, get, if we close your eyes and put room temperature water on your arm, it's not going to make any difference. But if we put a piece of ice there, if we put hot water there, it makes a difference. In fact, you can't tell the difference if you're blindfolded most of the time. <laughs> but it makes a difference. Our lives ought to be that. Some people are embarrassed about being a believer. I mean, so I, you get around them and, and they're embarrassed. We should never allow our light to be hidden under a bush. Remember we sang the song when we were kids, hide it under a bush. Oh, no. Not going to let Satan it out. I mean, we, we talked about being lights that shine. We ought to have a passion for the things of God. One of the most bothersome things to me in all of Christendom is passive believers. People who are passive about it. Oh, yeah, I'm okay. He's, he's is good. It was good. We don't want to be religious. We want to be people who have passion for him. When you love someone and you've been released from a debt that you could never pay, it ought to make a difference in your life. It ought to change everything about us. We used to sing that song when we were kids. If you're happy and you know it, your face will surely show it. That's actually a fairly scriptural song. When we, when we have confidence in Him, when we're in love with Him, it makes a difference in what we say. It makes a difference in, in how we behave. We don't, know, we, want to, we don't want to just go through the motions. We truly want to have a relationship that's on fire for God. We want to do that. We've read that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He was a man. Remember, He came as a man. He divested himself from heaven, according to, to Philippians chapter 2. He came as a man, and as a man, he had passion for the things of God. Jesus was passionate. The scripture says in John uh, 2 verse 17, after he drove the money changers out of the temple, he was pretty passionate about this thing. <laughs> These guys were there selling stuff in the temple. He took, he, he, he took an objection to it. And he made a whip. He drove them out. And the Bible records this. It says, And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. The word zeal literally means to, to, to have ardor, to be jealous. It means to be excited. Jesus was jealous for the house of God. He had zeal for the house of God. I love this passage. In, in Mark chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, it said, Jesus is preaching. It says, And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, his friends heard of it. Now, earlier in the chapter, his mom and brothers came to take him away, the scripture says. But his friends heard of it, 
And they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. <laughs> In church, we have made Jesus this sad, wimpy character. Let me ask you a question. If you prayed for a blind person and they got healed, how would you act? Glory to God. <laughs> oh, Father, I thank Thee. No, 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 no. You would be so excited that God healed someone. Amen. How do you think Jesus felt? He came. He said, I've come to do Thy will, O God. And when somebody got healed, Jesus got excited about it. I mean, He was thrilled about it. <clears throat> it says here, when they heard of it... It was healing the sick. It was casting out devils. It was preaching the gospel with, with, with the anointing. It was the willingness to oppose religion of all kinds. It was, it was everything that Jesus was doing. When they heard it, they wanted to lay hold on Him. That literally means they wanted to put Him in their control. Because this Jesus was out of control. I mean, He was out of control. When it says he was beside, they thought He was beside Himself... That literally means to put or to stand out of wits. It means to astound or to become astounded or to be insane. They came to get hold of Jesus because they thought he was crazy. And they were going to come and take him away. The, the, the word beside, the phrase beside himself, one theologian says, it means to be in an unhealthy state of excitement bordering on insanity. <laughs> Jesus was excited. He had a passion for God. He had a passion for the things of God. And when people got healed, when demons got cast out, when those things happened, Jesus was excited. So much so they thought he was crazy. I used that passage in the scripture as, as my main scripture one time. And the title of my message was Crazy Like a Fox. They thought he was crazy. But I mean, he cast out the demons with his word. He... He spoke to sickness and it obeyed him. He laid hands on the sick and they were instantly healed. People touched him. And you cannot tell me that Jesus wasn't thrilled. The lady touched him and, and he turned around. Who touched me? And they said, are you crazy? Everybody's touching you. And he said, uh-uh. Somebody touched me. And he saw the woman and she, she was afraid and she trembled. She said, it was me. And he said, honey, your faith just made you whole. And I mean, he was excited about it. He was thrilled. You see, this we ought to be that way. In least word studies, it says in Mark chapter three, the verse he says, "The friends of Jesus thought that much benevolence had been put had put him into a state of enthusiasm, enthusiasm dangerous to the health of mind and body." Hmm. He was so excited. Where was that? It's in the least word studies, which is a great study of the New Testament. Anytime you get to read it. He has great definitions of Greek words. But they thought he was out of his mind. You know what? They may think we're crazy. But we have the answer. We have the answer. Listen, when, when the devil is coming in, he's closing in on you, and it seems like there is no hope and no way out, when you begin to worship God, they will think you're crazy. Crazy like a fox. Because when you begin to worship him, the Bible says it stills the enemy and the avenger. 
I mean, the devil just like, wait, what's going on here? We need to learn to be excited for the things of God. We need to have such a relationship with Jesus that we become like him. That's what we need to do. That's really not my message, but that's really pretty good stuff, huh? See, Jesus was willing to give everything for you and to honor the Father. You had to have some kind of passion to be willing to go all the way to the cross like he did. Let's get to my text here. John chapter 1, verse 16. (laughs) And of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. The Amplified Bible says, For out of his fullness, abundance, we've all received, all had a share, we're all supplied with, one grace after another, and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. You already have it. It says we have been supplied with it. So about layers of favor, layers of grace, there's more grace, there's greater grace, and you already have it. Because the greater one lives in you. He's already there. It's already there. We need to understand that that grace comes to us by faith. And faith's purpose is to receive what grace provides. We've been talking about this for several, several weeks. We found out that grace is favor. We've seen it defined that way. It is unmerited favor. The Lord told me that time that grace is God's power that opens heaven on our behalf. When we got born again, we believed God and God's grace. Heaven was open and grace poured out and we were saved and no longer headed for hell. He told me grace is God's enabling force that empowers us to accomplish his will. It wasn't just to get us born again. The grace is to, to, to enable us to accomplish his plan in our lives. Whatever he said, that's the purpose of his grace is not getting me what I want, but getting him what he wants as we believe him. Man, we know that all that's very important. We need more grace. So we've been looking at this for several weeks. I want you to see this verse of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Listen to this. The Scripture says, As every man, it could say every human, as every human has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Let me read it again. That's pretty good, huh? As every one of us has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. Every one of us in this room is gifted. God has put gifts in us. He said, as every one of you have received the gift, here's what you do with it. You minister it. To one another. That's why the gift is there. It's so we can minister to one another as good stewards. I really like this. Of the manifold grace of God. Now what is that even talking about? The manifold grace of God. The word manifold in Hebrew literally means various in character, color, or flavor. It says that grace has all kinds of character, all kinds of flavors, all kinds of colors, all kinds of sorts. 
The Amplified says, extremely diverse powers and gifts granted to Christians by unmerited favor. There are all kinds of favors. All kinds of graces. I mean, there is victory flavored grace. There is healing flavored grace. Deliverance flavored. Prosperity flavored. All kinds of flavors of grace. It's talking about layers of grace. More than just the grace that got me born again. There is the born again flavor. And believe me, if you don't get any other flavor, get that one. But there's the healing flavor. There's, there's the flavor of grace that allows you to put your hands on a sick person and watch God heal them. That's not just for the preachers. Jesus said believers lay hands on the sick. And they'll recover. There's that grace. There's the we have grace upon grace upon grace. Oh man! And it takes though this passion for God. It takes a relationship with God. If we're going to taste all the flavors, we've got to have a relationship with Him. You know, it's like if you want to taste all the 31 flavors at Baskin Robbins. I think they have way more than that now. But if you want to taste all of them, you got to go to Baskin Robbins to get them. But we want to taste the flavors. We go to our Father and we begin to see them. Listen to these verses. This is Ephesians chapter 1. I think all these are familiar verses, but verse, beginning of verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, stop for just a moment. Once again, the verb here is past tense. He has already blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So every blessing that's available in the spirit realm, you have already been blessed with. That means it went from heaven to you. That's pretty good news to me. According, the scripture says, as he has chosen us, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love. God, his plan for you was predestined. The plan is what's predestined. He's not going to make you do anything ever. The plan is predestined. He predestined you to be without blame. How? In the blood of Jesus. You are without blame. You're not going to get to heaven and God say, why would you do that? Listen, if it's under the blood, it's under the blood. Without blame before him in love. Having predestined us, I like this really a lot, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. God wants you to be his child. It's his good pleasure. It's what he wants. It's what he planned. It says to, Now listen to this. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. <coughs> Excuse me. It tells us here that, that, that he, it says that, that this, this, this adoption is to the praise and the glory of His grace. The fact that we're His children ought to give glory to His grace. 
Our living in privileges as His children demonstrates to the world the magnitude of His favor. And the world needs to see it, and we should be living in that grace so they can see it and want to come to it too. It's His grace that makes us accepted in Jesus. We could read this verse this way. To the praise and glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us highly favored in the Beloved. Because that's the same phraseology when it says Mary was highly favored. We have been highly favored. Acts chapter, verse, verse 7, it says, it tells us that redemption and forgiveness of sin come from the riches of His grace. Man, grace has all these flavors. It's rich. It means abundance, wealth, richness. God has more than just a little dab of grace. He's rich with it. He runs over with it. It's everywhere. He has so much grace. He's trying to give it away. He wants all of us to have His grace. Man, He has a wealth of grace. He has enough grace to get you forgiven, to make you a child of the Most High God, enough left over to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. Woo, that's a lot of grace. And He has it for everybody. He's, there's no limit on it. Nowhere in heaven are they saying, God, we're nearly out of grace. <laughs> There's an unlimited supply. He's rich with grace. He's rich. See, what I want us to see is the reason that we can get that is because we're His children. We've been adopted. We're His children. It's this relationship that brings the grace. It's the relationship that makes us heirs of grace. Having a relationship with God is more valuable than anything in the universe. It's this relationship. You are highly favored because you have a relationship with God our Father. You are highly favored because you're a child of God. Most of the church fails to know or believe what I just said. Much of the church lives under the curse of the world because they feel so unworthy of the promise. I did this when I was young, and he can't love me like that. Yes, he does. There is no exception with God. He loves us. He loves us. Listen to these verses. This is the next chapter. But God, who is rich in mercy. Oh, yeah, he's rich in mercy, too. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in grace. He, there is no shortage of mercy. None. In fact, it's new every morning to everybody who will receive it. I mean, there's enough mercy for all 8 billion of us on this planet today to get a new load of it tomorrow. The psalmist said he daily loads us with his benefits. Every day. I mean, what, what better benefit is there than mercy and grace? Daily. I mean, he does it every day. Even when we were dead in sins, hath, past tense again, hath quickened us together with Christ. We've already been made alive in Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath, past tense, already raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's a miracle. We're seated in this room, but we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Two places at the same time. In the natural, we're right here. But I'm telling you, spiritually, we are seated with Christ. 
sitting together in heavenly places in Christ. Think about this next verse. This is, I'm going to read verse 7 of chapter 2. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding grace I'm sorry, the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. That in ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. He has so much grace that eternity is not enough time for Him to show it all to us. We have some grace here, and it's wonderful, an unlimited supply of it. After we go to heaven, we have eternity, and we will have eternity after eternity after eternity for God to show us how much grace He has. Now, if we think heaven's going to be boring, we are mistaken. <laughs> we have grace. It's, I mean, it's, it, the Amplified says that that grace is immeasurable limitless, surpassing. I mean, God's grace is so huge. We don't understand it. And for us to whine and cry about, oh, it's so hard. No, there's grace for you. There's grace. It builds the barrier around me. And God can then, it enables me to accomplish His plan in spite of the hardness that's around me. I love the verse, I don't remember where it is, where it says, quit ye like men. It literally means act like a man. Grow up. Listen, we need to be believers who are standing on what God has said because we have his favor. If I know, I mean, if you're in, if you're in a room of people and you're interviewing for a job and it's your daddy that's the boss <laughs> and you know you already have the job, I mean, you're not nervous about it. You already have the favor. All you're doing is going through the motions. Listen, we have an interview we're going through. The devil thinks he's winning. A lot of the times, I don't even know where he gets that idea. Except we give it to him. We need to be people who know who we are in Christ. There's this immeasurable amount of grace that God is pouring out to us for eternity. But let me read on. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But, um, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Listen, it's not just about heaven. Right now we have his grace. We were saved We've been delivered, rescued, made whole, and made well. That's the word sozo, which means saved. We've, been, that's, we've already been saved by grace through faith. Now there's grace to live life here and now. Let me read verse 10 from the Amplified Bible. For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, so we can sit around and suffer. No, no, no. That we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand before, for us, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us to live. Grace allows us to get through the trial. Grace enables us to live the good life 
that He's already prearranged for us to live in. It's God's enabling power. Again, it doesn't mean I don't have any problems in life, but it does mean that He enables me. If I'll just hang in with Him, He enables me to win through those things. It may not happen in 24 hours or 48 hours, but God is true to His Word. Anyone or anything that defies or denies what God said is true, they're wrong. The Scripture says they're a liar. God's Word is true. Listen, He intends for us to live a good life of victory. People have a hard time with grace and works, but they go hand in hand. We've been enabled. We've been graced, favored by God to do the good works that He's already prearranged for us to walk in. Isn't that something? Every day there's mercy. There's a super abundance of grace. And now there are all these good things we can do. God intends for our lives to be that way. Grace is always connected to a relationship with the Father. It's always connected to His, His presence. Remember we talked about Moses and he talked about, about that, that, that unless your presence goes, I, I'm not going to go. And he said, I want your presence. And God said, my grace will go with you. And so it's about grace. It's, it's about having this hot relationship with Him as opposed to a lukewarm relationship with He wants us hot. He wants us to have an impact. Because of His love for us, this grace we live in now and spend eternity with is ours right away and then that as well. We must have, though, this relationship of intimacy. We need to learn how to know Him better than we know anybody else. Now, talking about ritual, I'm not even talking about theology. I'm talking about a relationship with Him Knowing Him, that's why Jesus came. For us to have a relationship with Him. A real, genuine relationship with Him. I know you know what I'm going to tell you, but I just want you to think about it again. All these people followed Jesus. Went up one night and prayed. He picked 12. Remember? He picked 12. He chose them not because of their works and talents. I mean, sometimes I read about the apostles when they're with Jesus, and it's like reading about Mo and Larry and Curly. I mean, they did some crazy stuff. I mean, just think about James and John. They're going to the town, and, and, and the people said, no, you can't, if you're not going to stay here, you can't spend the night with us. You don't spend a couple weeks with us. And James and John says to, they said this to Jesus, do you want us to rain down fire on them? Like Elijah did. Two things there. Number one, their theology was bad. (laughs) Number two, I love the thought that they thought they could really do it. I mean, they went to Jesus and said, you want us to call down fire on them? And Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. See, I didn't come to kill. I came to save. But I mean, these guys, you know, Peter, Jesus (laughs) said, Jesus, you're wrong. I will not deny you. I mean, it's like the it's, it's like the Keystone Cops sometimes. These guys doing stuff, but he picked these twelve guys. But then, his grace drew three people even to a deeper level with him. Remember Peter, James, and John when he went to the house of Jairus to raise the daughter. He only took three. He didn't take Nathaniel. He didn't take Thaddeus. He took Peter. James and John, they went in the house. 
when he went to the Mount of Transfiguration. Seemed like it would have been more fair for you to pick three different guys. But he picked Peter, James, and John. The same was true at the Garden of Gethsemane. He took them all. He took Peter, James, and John further. Have you ever noticed some people just seem closer to the Lord than others? They're just, oh, they're just closer to God. Listen, this is a matter of grace that comes from a pursued relationship. I'm going to tell you something about Peter, James, and John. They pursued Jesus. They pursued the relationship with Him. Many people think that closest to the Lord is something that comes and goes. Or that, that, that being close to the Lord is, is God's favor just on special ones. No, no, no. The call may be on someone different, but closeness hasn't had anything to do with God. It has to do with me. The Scripture says in James 4.8, Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. It's my call to draw near to him. The call of God on my life is to pursue him. To go after him. He came after me. And Jesus died and paid the price for me. And now it's my call to follow him. He went to those, those guys by the seashore and he said, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. They had a choice whether or not to pursue Jesus. They had to follow him. And then, this is what I love. He had Peter, James, and John, but there was one of those guys that got way in there with Jesus. Let's explore it for just a second. Well, more than a second. Oh, my time is way gone, isn't it? Give me just a little bit more, please. In John chapter 13, in verse 20, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me. He that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, He was troubled in His spirit, and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked on one another, doubting of whom He spake. Now there was, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of His disciples, whom Jesus loved. I love that statement. He was talking about John. Remember who wrote this? John. John. It's like, it's like, he loves me. He loves me. And it says, and Simon Peter therefore beckoned him that he should ask who it should be that whom he spake. Then he, then he lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus said, It is he to whom I shall give a sop. And when he had dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. John writes in the Gospel of John that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. He was so confident in this fact that Jesus loved him. I mean, he's sitting right next to Jesus. He's a young man, but he, you know, he's old enough to work and do all those things. He has his head on Jesus' chest as they're there at the table because they reclined when they ate. His head is on Jesus' chest. He is so confident that Jesus loves him. He knows Jesus is going to say, get away from me. Get off of me. No. He knows that Jesus loves him. The contemporary English version says it this way. Jesus' favorite disciple was sitting next to him. His, John says, oh, his favorite one was right there. 
John had this relationship with Jesus that he knew, that he knew, that he knew, that he knew. Jesus loves me. I got to be his favorite. I have to be his favorite. I mean, this kind of intimacy with Jesus draws grace. John was sure that Jesus loved him. And John loved Jesus with everything that he had. I mean, not only did he know it, everybody else knew it. That, 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 I mean, that John understood that. John 19, 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. <laughs> the, 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 the CEV says his favorite disciple. Whom he loved. He saith unto his mother, woman. I mean, he, he, said, he, said, he said to his mother, woman, behold thy son. John chapter 20, verse 2. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and the other disciple, whom Jesus loved. John's still writing this, or as the CEV says, Jesus' favorite disciple, and said, they've taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they've laid him. John 21, 7. Therefore that disciple, whom Jesus loved, the CEV says, his favorite disciple, said unto Peter, it is the Lord. And in John chapter 21, 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple, whom Jesus loved, following Jesus' favorite disciple. John had a revelation that Jesus loved him. And he knew that Jesus would never let go of him. He was absolutely convinced that he was Jesus' favorite. I mean, he just knew that. Tammy always tells me, well, I'm God's favorite. <laughs> I mean, the one Jesus loved. Do you know that when Jesus was taken to the cross, John was the only one that didn't run? He was the only one that stayed there because he knew that Jesus loved him and he knew that he loved Jesus. He went all the way to the cross, all the way to the darkest space. I mean, knowing that, 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 that his master loved him, it drew the kind of grace from Jesus that made Jesus say, take care of my mama. And told his mama, this is now your son. I mean, that is favor. I want that kind of favor. I want to know that. See, we know this perfect love overcomes fear. When we get hold of the fact that God loves me. See, the scriptures here is our love made perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in the world. So there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Here's the reality. When I know that Jesus loves me, you can't hurt me bad enough to chase me away. See, a lot of Christians get hurt and they, they, they run away. The temptation is to draw, draw back. But when I know Jesus loves me, when I know I'm his favorite one, nobody's going to push me away. No, no rough time, no cross is going to push me away. The Amplified Bible says, 1 John chapter 17, this way. In this union and communion with him, love is brought to completion and attains perfection with us. That we may have confidence for the day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face him because as he is, so are we in this world. Union and communion with Jesus brings love to maturity. And we're no longer afraid. The mature love drives away fear. John understand that Jesus loved him. You know, John, 
is the only apostle they didn't kill? They tried to. They tried to boil him in oil. And he just wasn't done. They pulled him up. And they, you can only, the Roman law said they can only do it to him once. He didn't die. They said, well, let's put him on this island called Patmos. But now, by the time they put him on Patmos, he was well into his 70s. Should have died the first week out there. Oh, no, no, no. He said, on the Lord's day, I saw the Lord. He knew that he knew that Jesus loved him. I mean, he was so confident of, the, of, of Jesus' love that, they, that the Romans couldn't kill him. They finally let him go. He went back to Ephesus. And every day, the historians say that every day while he was in Ephesus, he said to the people, Brethren, love one another. He talked about the love of God. He talked about loving Him. You see, we need to recognize Jesus is my source. And when I make Him everything, grace will come in wave after wave. Not so I can get the grace. Do I love Him? I love Him because He's Jesus. He's the Savior of my soul. Only He could get rid of my sin forever. I'm His favorite because I love Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that we have access, that we have been accepted in the Beloved, highly favored. Lord, I thank You that we can have relationship with Jesus that is different than anything the world could ever know. Father, we give you thanks tonight. We give you honor. We give you praise. I pray that you would stir up our hearts like never before, that we would walk with you in passion, loving you with our whole lives, walking in the good life that you prearranged for us. We give you thanks tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.